Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mindshifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, August 7th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered these tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over, well, just at 19 years now, to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please feel free to do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you do that, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put a little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. 
Alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And we uh, also appreciate it deeply when anybody chooses to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service. And that's far easier for us to do when we have direct feedback from people about how the things we're already doing are landing for them. Is it making sense? Is it relevant? Is it helping you access and use the tools more effectively and efficiently? Um, And the more we know about that, from direct feedback from you, the easier it is to live into our intention with the work. So please let us know. Comments, questions, answers, or testimonials are all welcome. It's been a full weekend. It's been, um, I think I mentioned near on Thursday and or Friday that I continue to have all kinds of people in my life who are going through losses and deep challenges, and I am quite grateful for the tools and the ability to unload some of that energy that so quickly and easily wants to run through my system and or without any input from me seemingly determine my perception. So I am quite grateful for the use of the tools and knowledge of them. I have um, As I've talked about on a number of occasions on this Internet show, I am amazed at how many people that I deal with on a regular basis are intelligent, brilliant, competent, well-intentioned, hardworking, and yet they view themselves as less than any of those things, less than hardworking, less than capable, less than competent, less than accomplished, And one of the things that we know and we observe continually in this work is that if I have a negative thought about myself or someone else or a negative emotion active in my mind, I can instantly know it's a lie or based in a falsehood. It's an old tape playing. It's not about the present current moment situation and if I act on it it's just going to make my life worse not better there's it's just not possible for acting from a negative thought or emotion to lead to something better in my life so I've recently been reading a book that I'm 
reviewing for an interview. And the title of the book is Mental Illness, a Support Guide for Families and Friends. And the subtitle is the subtitle is Personal Restoration Step by Step. And this gentleman, Stephen Jacobs, S T E P H E N, had his world turned upside down when he woke up in the middle of the night to his wife screaming at him that they were there was a woman in their backyard that was trying to kill them and he was having an affair and so she clearly had a psychotic break and then she uh went on a a series of up and downs and even though he worked diligently to try and be there with her and for her and support her for probably a couple of years, they eventually did get a divorce and she's still struggling with her mental health problem. The reason I mention it here on the show is that at one point in the book he's talking about forgiveness and without having all the same words and without having the knowledge of the ancient Aramaic, he's basically reached the same conclusion. And, and he says at one point that, you know, when you do enough of this work, you you actually wake up and realize that there's nobody outside of you to forgive, that everybody's been doing the best they can in each moment with whatever resources they have, and um, that... Uh, when you load yourself up with blame or you load yourself up with guilt or vengeance, you're poisoning yourself, and it rarely, if ever, translates to any kind of a consequence for anybody outside of you. So I am... um, There are other parts of the book where he... He outlines deep experiential practices, which are part of what I've been trying to help people understand for years, especially with this work. I can't benefit from this work by reading Michael's book over and over again. I can't benefit from this work by telling other people that they should do a worksheet. I only benefit from this work when I put the pen to the paper, when I do the experience of canceling the goal, practicing what it feels like when I cancel my need to be right, when I practice asking to be shown the hidden part of my mind. And so he has that in this book. He encourages people to do visualization and breath work and step into a series of steps throughout the book. He's got exercises. He encourages people to have their own workbook, their own notebook to write reactions in. At every step of the way. So it's very sound. As I'm reading this book, I'm thinking... 
going to be uh, exciting at one level to let him know about if he adds the piece of canceling the goal and doing the forgiveness reality management worksheet process. Um, it might expand his own personal effectiveness for moving past difficult situations, traumatic energies and negative emotions, etc. So, it's another free uh, resource that will be available sometime probably after the end of August that there will be an interview um, on the journeysdream.org slash podcast or the onyourmindpodcast.org link. And um, I haven't mentioned that in a while, but I've got about 143 interviews I've done in the past three and a half years or so. And uh, some of them are intense. Some of them are a little bit more loose, but we strive for being educational. We strive for being motivational. We strive, I guess uh, motivational isn't the right word there. We strive for being inspirational in that work. Some of the people that we've interviewed have had lived experience with mental health struggles. And some of them have both lived experience with mental health struggles and lived experience helping others as either therapists or psychiatrists or uh, art therapists or massage therapists or yoga instructors. And um, I encourage people to check that out. They, uh, within the past year, they made it easier to access those audio files at um, on their website, and you can access it with the uh, web link onyourmindpodcast.org or theonyourmindpodcast.org. They both work. So um, it sounds like a good time to throw the invitation open once again. If you have read a book and you felt it was inspirational or good for you or in any way related to personal growth or spirituality, please let me know. Um, I received in the mail my advanced copy of, um, I did an advanced purchase copy of Pierre Pratervan's book, and the hard copy, or the paperback, finally came in the in the mail, so apparently it has been formally released. And um, that is The Gentle Art of Spiritual... I forget the, the second part of that title but anyway um, if you've read a book like that and benefited from it and you think it would be a, a good thing for me to interview that person for the on your mind podcast please let me know you can either email me or call the show and and make the recommendation again our call in number is 563-999-3581 when you call that number, if you press 1, it will let me know that you're willing to talk and or that you've got a comment or a question to share with us.
it has been, uh, as I mentioned, a very challenging time for a lot of people that I know. And one of the people I'm working with is just which is questioning the idea of the grief work and questioning it from the perspective of how long is this going to take and why is it never done and what if I feel like I've been doing grief work for years and and um, and that's one of the key pieces is that we keep trying to help people change the reference point from when am I going to be done with this to am I getting better at dealing with these things? So instead of you know, trying to assess, you know, am I doing it well enough that I'm going to be done soon or what do I need to do differently so that I can be done soon, rather than that perspective, to start aligning with the perspective that says, Am I getting better at this? And as long as I'm getting better, even if it's incrementally better, I know I'm on the right track. And if I start to invest in a concept of being done, I'm just setting myself up for disappointment because, as so many of these great teachings tell us, we can't ever be done learning about ourselves because we're part of this one mind, this infinite being. And the the process of being done just doesn't apply to the human spirit uh, or even the human psyche. So we, what we recommend with this work is we substitute the question um, how... Am I doing, am I making any kind of progress? We substitute that for the question of when am I going to be done? And we let ourselves know that there's a tremendous amount that can be done on an ongoing basis in our lives if we're just willing to ask to be shown rather than demanding an answer or demanding to be done. And hopefully you're seeing the benefits of that in your own life, if you have any kind of a story to share about how that's unfolding in your life, give us a call and let us know, 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1. As I look at the, the calendar these days, I realize that we're racing toward next week on the 17th and 18th next week there's either going to have to be a best of show played for my internet show or no show because I'm I'll be with family for a mini reunion Thursday, Friday and Saturday and I'm saying it out loud so I'll remember we have support groups on Tuesdays and Thursday nights and I'm hopeful that we'll have somebody from the Tuesday group who's willing to step in like someone did from the Thursday group and host that uh, in the near future when the need arises so that we don't have to have any interruptions in the scheduled um, holding of the 
Tuesday and Thursday support groups. And, of course, all the information you would need to join us or pass that along to somebody else is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website. So if no one has a hand up, I will return to the reading I've been doing. We haven't been there for a while. Reading questions from the book, A Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg. And it's useful to recall that in the beginning of this book, Christian says, I really don't know much of anything. And I'm not putting these things out here as ultimate truths. I'm I'm sharing what I've learned. I'm sharing what my guides and spirit guides tell me. I'm sharing what has come to me from memories of a pre-life experience. And if it's useful to you, take it and use it. If it's not useful, drop it. There, there's no argument to be had here. And... So he also mentions that in this question and answer segment that he has in the book, he's getting guidance, inspiration you might call it. Some would say it's a channeling. Some would say it's divine inspiration from a variety of perspectives. You can call them ascended masters, you can call them spirit guides, you can call them guardian angels. It doesn't matter where you call them. So here's a question he has that a lot of people struggle with, this idea of good and evil. And the question is, did God create evil? And the answer is, at the deepest level, the most fundamental thing is beingness we don't have words for it but it's all that is it's also called consciousness it's called spirit it's called god it's called light it's called life beingness all that is the existence of anything the the root substance of being is perfect and unblemished it just shines with the light of its own being which is love that's just another phrase we we call it love we call it the energy of creation we call it light and then it says beingness then chooses to expand the depths of what it is to expand the possibilities and the joy it does that through manifestation and the experience of a defined creation This choice is an additive service. Through that experience, any given soul, another way to say that is any given piece of the source energy of the one mind, any given soul is only so good at any given time in its ability to reflect its true loving nature within the context of its role of its set of constraints in the physical world 
its true nature is love its true nature is perfection its true nature is creation expanding and extending but any given soul is only so good at any given time at reflecting that when it's in the middle of all of these serious constraints that we call physical life Some of these contexts are very challenging. And the human condition, which includes the experience of separation, is one of those potentially very challenging contexts. Fear happens when, through those challenging contexts, the individual buys into perceptions that are not in alignment with the truth. The truth is, you're whole and complete just as you are. You're perfect. You are a perfect expression of the extension of the creative energy into form. So any perceptions you have, such as, I'm shameful, or I'm powerless, or I can be destroyed, are false. And they're not in alignment with your true nature. And as the individual seeks to cope with the unnatural state of feeling as though they're separate and experiencing fear, the ego rises to protect the individual and to try to, quote, reclaim, close quotes, the power that seems to have been lost. It's worded that way because the power was never lost. It just seems to have been lost. When the individual makes choices from fear and ego rather than from the un underlying truth of love, that's what we call evil. Evil is our word for it. It just shines with the light of its own being, which is love. Beingness then chooses to expand the depths of what it is to expand the possibilities of joy through manifestation and the experience of defined creation. Evil is our word for the ultimately fear-based intent which arises out of this out of the response to this appearance of separation to this false experience as being separated evil in quotes is what happens when a loving consciousness is acting from fear and ego because that consciousness is engaged in an experience that it has not yet fully integrated. So whatever your experience, once it's fully integrated, you'll be able to, to be in the middle of it and extend your true nature as love. To feel it, to think from it, to act from it, to speak from it. So the answer to the question of did God create evil is God did not create evil. Rather, God gave the soul the opportunity to grow and expand in love and joy 
through choice making. And that opportunity included the opportunity to be challenged to such a degree that even fearful choices were possible. We are a part of that source, and that source is unconditionally loving, just as we are completely free so we are permitted to choose even an experience in which we may make imperfect choices. Our true nature cannot change. None of us are ever truly in danger at our core. But in the process of working through that extreme experience of apparent separation and vulnerability and making choices within such a rich context, we add incredibly, expansively to the truth of all that is. And we're helping to expand the joy and love of what we really are. And that service, even though it's got its ups and downs and parts of it that we don't prefer, is incredibly valuable and worthwhile. The next question is, what is the higher self? What is the soul? And the answer is, the higher self is you. The real and complete you. Unconstrained by the limitations of the physical experience. The you that knows its oneness with all. The total you with all the experience you've had as opposed to the smaller you, the human personality because that is just the portion of you who identifies almost exclusively with this human personality and human identity. The soul is metaphorically the drop in the ocean, the fragment of the whole that is connected, both connected and individuated, and it has free will. I'm using the two terms, higher self and soul, interchangeably in this work. The next question is, is our soul or our spirit energy? And the answer is, while we are human, we believe reality is made of things. So when we want to know what one thing, for instance, our soul or our spirit is, we ask, is it this or is it this other thing, energy? All discrete things, all forms arise from that which is fundamental. Consciousness itself is fundamental. Spirit itself is fundamental. Awareness is fundamental. Spirit is the fundamental substrate of everything. Spirit does not have a precedent. There was nothing before spirit. Spirit was never created and it will never not be here. Consciousness was never created and will never not be here. And all forms, including concepts like energy, 
or experiences of energy arise within the truth of life itself, arise within consciousness, arise within spirit. So, spirit is not energy, it's beyond energy. And that's something our minds just can't wrap themselves around. The next question is, do all things have a soul? What's the cutoff for souls? Is it plants? Is it mold? Is it bacteria? And the answer is, bodies don't have souls. Souls have bodily experiences. Think of consciousness as the fundamental substrate which transcends form. It can then utilize or can be various forms within creations of form that exist within itself. And the extent to which it can utilize those forms and have the experience of being them and growing experientially through them, this process depends heavily on the nature of the form and the rule set of its local reality. So, for instance, a human with a brain is capable of a much different cognitive and intellectual experience than, say, a mouse. However, spirit can be, because it already is, the mouse, too. And it can experience the universe from that very different perspective. Indeed, spirit is experiencing every aspect of its creation, both in this universe and beyond. And its experience is all life, capital L, life. What we tend to think of as, quote, alive, close quotes, is an extremely narrow definition, since we tend to think of life only as a physical form. Whereas, in fact, consciousness itself is not physical, but rather it contains all physical form within itself. Mind-boggling stuff. There are times when I encourage people to just stop trying to sort this out with words and asking questions like that and move into an experience that will help you reach a deeper state of calm. And Stephen Jacobs is doing the same thing in his book, a series of exercises to help people experience what it's like to just watch your thoughts and use your breath to soften the tightness or tension or negative energies in your system. Because there are no words for the truth of it. Only experience of something different moves us into a new experience. Words about a thing do not move us into that experience. 
So here, you know, this this segment of the book, uh, often when I'm reading these, it, it, it I wonder, you know, how, how much time I want to spend with this because it's just around and around and around words trying to, to talk about something that's way beyond words. And is there any value in that? Everybody gets to determine it for themselves. But I frequently try to limit how much time and energy I spend engaging with people on questions like this, especially if I notice any tightness or tension or irritation in there or an escalation in intensity in their discussion or in their voice as they're discussing it. And the reason for that is because we know that any time that I have a negative emotional active emotion active in my system, especially any kind of hostility or fear, I'm in that moment distorting my perception. In that moment, I'm probably not seeing things accurately. So when people, you know, start asking questions about What's our true nature, and is God responsible for evil? Is God made evil? And all these questions that we were just reading from the book. As soon as it starts to get escalated in any way, I encourage people to stop that process of questioning and move into what what they can see and learn and feel about their internal processing in that moment. This next question is one of those examples of questions that I have had people raise in the support groups. And the question is, if our souls are already perfect and already know everything, why do we come into this life? Why would we need anything other than the total bliss that we're told exists before the the physical state is uh, entered into? And from one very limited perspective, there isn't any reason. And I know all kinds of people who've been here in the physical realm who are so unhappy with the sense of loss and stresses and abuse they've had in childhood and the struggle to make ends meet physically and feel like they've got some kind of a sense of purpose in life. And and they're not happy, and they would never wish this on their worst enemy, and they do not want to repeat life. And so they raise questions like this. And again, if if they're calm and focused and they're just exploring this for the benefit that might give give them from a calm centered space and I'll I'll read things like this or I'll share with them other things I've read but as soon as they start getting tight or tense or judgmental I recommend that they put that aside 
and do a process, do an experience, do a goal canceling, do a breath session, do an EFT tapping, do a visualization like uh, Stephen Jacobs might recommend in his book to release this energy, to understand it more, and to restore yourself to a feeling of calm and centeredness and at least contentment, if not joy. So the question is, if our souls are already perfect and already know everything, why do we come into this life for experiences and, quote, growing up, close quotes? After we die, if we will wake up and understand everything, why do we need to have an earthly life experience? And why do we need to wake up again to that which we already know? That's the whole question, a couple parts of the question. The answer is, those first two statements sound paradoxical, but actually they are not. Now remember, in an earlier essay, this work stated that the presence of a seeming paradox in my experience is nothing more than the indication that I have a limited perception. I am not seeing everything that that is going on. Because if I did see everything that was going on, there would be no paradox. Because life is just unfolding as life unfolds. So to begin with, understand, it sounds like a paradox, but it's not. It looks like a paradox to us because we're using language, we're using very limited perception, we're using what we've been trained into thinking by our family and our culture. The answer goes on and says, the soul evolves as its, quote, experience vocabulary expands. So the more experiences my soul has, the more my soul evolves whether it's an experience of pain or fear or sadness or upset or an experience of joy and expansion and contentment, the more experiences my soul has, the more it expands. My soul comes here to have this experience and expand its nature. Its nature is the nature of love and joy. And it expands it through that experience. Meanwhile, the soul is simultaneously perfect and at the soul level it has access to all information which is not the same as all experiential evolution. So, it's like the uh, the story where Guy Finley talks about this man who he woke up and he found himself in a kingdom where he's having to work for the master. And he starts to question, why am I having to work for the master? And the master said, well, because it's what your father did and your grandfather and great-grandfather before you. It's what you people do. And so the main person in the story wasn't really satisfied with that, so he started sneaking out of his room at night, going into the local town and going into the library and reading everything he could about freedom. 
And he read all kinds of books about freedom, and he learned everything there was to know about freedom except how to be free. So this little paragraph says, our souls understand everything informationally, but it can understand it informationally and never have had the experience. It can see it intellectually and not have the felt sense of it. And so it says, to wrap up that paragraph, it says, the learning we come to do here is experiential, not intellectual. And I... I was talking about this um, wonderful poet, poet that uh, a spoken word artist actually, who um, Andrea Gibson, um, and one of her spoken word pieces is about. Um, What if, when we die, our soul misses all the things of the physical realm, even those things that we would call painful or unpleasant or torturous? And I'm not having much um, much luck right now pulling that up. I had intended to have it saved uh, for this show today. Anyway, it is worth um, a read if you want to search for Andrea Gibson and, um, you know, when I think it might be uh, for the days I stop wanting a body. Imagine that when a human dies, the soul misses the body. It actually grieves the loss of its hands and all they could hold. And so that's the title of that spoken word piece. For the days I stopped wanting a body. She writes of it beautifully. She's um, quite the spoken word artist. And I would encourage you, if you like anything related to that kind of poetry, that you tap into it soon and often because she's also, she did an interview with uh, the We Can Do Hard Things podcast this year. 
and revealed that her cancer has come back. So she may not be in the body forever or that long. Um, and yet she's quite the talent and helps us look at things deeply from a, um, some lovely, unique perspectives. What if... What if the soul misses the body? For the times I I I I don't want my body. So five six three nine 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 three five eight one. She also has a lovely one about uh, the acceptance speech after setting the world record in goosebumps, and she talked about how she used to not. She used to try not to be affected by life. She used to not let herself feel excited about things. She was trained in a in a, a family where the the mode is detach and act like things aren't really that um, powerful. And then she started having deep experiences of goosebumps, God bumps. And she opened up to it and set the world record for goosebumps. And then understands that anybody could break that record at any time and she will just revel in that because she knows she'll be able to break the record again without even trying. So 563-999-3581, what's on your mind? How can we support you? I think I would rather look at reading her acceptance speech after setting the world record in goosebumps rather than read more of those questions. So here it is. Andrea Gibson. She says, I wasn't by any means a natural. I was not one of those wow hounds. I wasn't born jaw-dropped. I was tough. I was tough in the husk. I went years untouched by rain. I took shelter seriously, even and often, especially in good weather. My tears, like teenagers hiding under the hoods of my eyes, so committed they were to never falling. When I was told that there were seven wonders of the world, I trusted the math, and I believed I'd seen none of them. 
Of course, beauty hunted me. It hunts everyone, but I outran it. I hid in my worry and in regret in the promise of an afterlife or on a weekend. And then one day, in a red velvet theater in New Orleans, I watched Maya Angelou walk on stage. She took 17 slow steps to the mic. She took a breath before speaking. And I could hear God being born in that breath. My every pore reached out like a hand pointing to the first unsinkable lotus in the bayou of the universe. I'd never felt anything like it. When I got home, I searched the encyclopedia for the feeling's name. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. And afterward, I thought, I can do this. I can get goosebumps more often. I started training morning to night. Crowbar swinging like a pendulum at the wall of my chest. I tore off the caution tape. I let my life and everything touch it. Alan Iverson on the television in his first season with the Sixers his crossovers as sharp as a V of sparrows flying through the paint like Michelangelo's brush gave me 333 goosebumps. My baby sister, sober for the first time in 13 years, calling to tell me that she just noticed our mother's eyes are green. I let it give me 505 goosebumps. One day my friend scored tickets to a Prince concert it was a tiny venue. I was right behind the sound booth. Prince's entire band that evening were women. At the end of the show, the sound person turned around and whispered, he didn't play one song on his set list the whole night. I live on stages. I know what it is to scratch a plan but not the whole trip and still arrive at your destination. And you were there 200 years before your time. I let it give me 421 artists formerly known as Goosebumps. But that's just the fancy stuff. Some of them come from simple facts. It rains diamonds on Jupiter, 189 Goosebumps. Blood donors in Sweden receive a thank you message when their blood is used. 301 Nordic goosebumps. One night in Ann Arbor, my friend, still undiagnosed, could not uncurl her fingers to strum her guitar, so she sang the chords instead. It was the first time in my life I'd seen pain become an instrument. Ten dozen goosebumps. For each and every note plucked from the string section of her refusal to silence her dream, after that night, nothing in the world was gray. Even the movie of my past was released in color. 
the oldest man in my hometown could not get to the door to listen to our carols, so we went inside and sang at his bedside instead. Twenty-four, boots on the front step, catching snowflakes with their tongues, goosebumps. At one point, everything started doing it. A sincere apology, 221 goosebumps. An enemy's love poem, 222 goosebumps. The moon rising over the continental divide. My girlfriend and I thought it was a car driving off a cliff, and suddenly nothing in the world was dying. Have you ever felt that? A split second when nothing in the world is dying? 888 goosebumps. And the next day, I sharpened a tiny axe so I could split the seconds myself. Too much life lives in the moment to not feed it to the fire in your heart slowly. A Missoula treehouse filled with candlelight. 143 goosebumps. The octopus, octopus documentary. 54 goosebumps multiplied by 8. The biggest dog in the shelter behind a teacup chihuahua. And the woman who came to adopt a cat takes all three of them home. 1,012 goosebumps. There is no escaping the magic now. Beauty caught me and never let me go. And the thing about the world record is, if someone breaks it after me, and they will break it after me, I will love that so much that without even trying, I'll break the record again. World record for goosebumps. Living life fully in the moment. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. Not much time for a call or a comment or a question now, but the second hour will be coming. If you call that number and press one, you can talk to Michael and or Jeannie. Encourage you to do that. Encourage you to think about coming to our support group on Tuesday or Thursday night and or sharing that information with someone you know that might benefit from it. All that information is available at MindShiftersAcademy.org website. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. What were you reading the record of Goosebumps? What is it a book? or? It's one of the spoken word pieces in a book by Angela uh, Andrea Gibson. And the title of the book is You Better Be Lightning. Oh, okay. And it's just um, a series of wonderful spoken word pieces about life and love and experience. And so thanks for asking. Have a wonderful show. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So welcome everybody to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio and today is Monday, August the seventh, twenty twenty three. And our call in number is five six three nine 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 three five eight one. And press one and that puts you into queue to talk to us, your show. And uh while I'm waiting on Michael to dial in, 
I'll just say again that the Blog Talk has made a few changes on how people can connect. If you are signed up on Blog Talk, which is free, and they um, keep your information private, it's real simple, and uh, you can with that you can actually chat in the chat room. But then they also have a direct connect button where you can call in to the show using your microphone from your computer instead of being on the telephone. I haven't had anybody give that a try yet, but I'd like to know how it works. Um, they have also added a button on the switchboard so that I could call somebody and add them to the phone call. haven't tried that yet either. But anyway, I keep getting pop-ups when I sign into the switchboard, and it tells me about this new uh, way for hosts and guests to get on the show. So if anybody gives that a call, please let me know, or gives that a try, rather. Let me know, and we'll see how it works. And we hope that everybody has had a wonderful weekend and are blessed. And um, if you follow us on YouTube, or YouTube on Facebook, you'll see that we have actually been posting um, our daughter-in-law, Jamie, who's married to Michael, uh, Michael J. Rice. Um, her father uh, got killed last week, and so they we didn't post anything until they had gotten all the family in. There was one brother that was actually on a cruise, and he had to get off the cruise and fly in from Ireland. And so he got in yesterday, and so then everybody was making the announcement. They made all the arrangements and things. And so if you're on their Facebook page, you'll see that his name was Milton Jameson, and sweet, sweet man. And so they have a large family. There was actually seven of them, and uh, Jamie is the only girl. So she's got six brothers, and they have all been gathering and giving each other support. And she lost her mother when she was very young. So um, she's got a stepmother, though, that has been wonderful to all of the children for many, many years. And so we're holding all of them in the space as they get through this. And so just send love and light to, to Jamie and her family. And Michael has joined us now, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. And uh, as he was saying, it would be much appreciated if everyone would just tune in to Jamie Rice. Just tune into her energy. She's out in Waukini, Kansas, Jamie. a little town. Or Jamie, pardon me. Uh, Waukini, Kansas, a little town about six hours from Kansas City. And uh, if you just tap in and extend love in that whole family's direction. It's been a, a difficult time for everyone there. And it's interesting, she's the youngest of seven children, the only girl. And uh, she's been processing everything that's coming up for her. And actually, the uh, the family went out with a local sheriff to where the accident happened. The sheriff was the one that found him. And she ended up leading the family in connecting to love before going out into the field to the scene of the accident. And so it's been pretty courageous. For a young lady and a new mother, 
And beyond that, we're here to uplift every mind, heart, and being in the world that's suffering in any way, shape, or form as we move the tools for the undoing of suffering throughout the globe and make them available as widely as we can possibly make those tools available. We invite you to pass the tools along, share them with somebody, sit down with somebody and do a worksheet. You'll be amazed over and over and over for better than 40 years now. Whenever I do a worksheet with someone and someone collapses the pained perception that they're living in, it always, always amazes me just what they drop into. So share a worksheet with someone, show them the power of canceling a goal, and just watch what happens when people cancel that goal, how the whole perceptual mind shifts and life becomes a different process. Of course, the mind is a habit device, so many people will default to their habits over and over and over again until they overcome that habit. And I forget what the numbers are, something I think the research, you know, some people say 21 days, but that's a falsity, that's something somebody made up without any research. But I think if I remember, Jeannie, do you remember it was something like 72 or 73 days of repeating a behavior before it actually becomes a habit, something in that range? So taking the tools, putting them to work, will change the habit mind and return us to the truth. And, you know, one of the things that everybody's looking for is words to describe the truth. Well, just tell me the truth, then I'll know. Well, not how it works. If you listen to Course in Miracles, it's just the truth of what we are is not for words to speak of nor describe. And what you think you are is a belief to be undone. So words, 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 words. Words, you know, this chapter in my book, words could never say. Words will never give you the experience of who you are. What words can do is give you the tools, describe the tools, and if you'll follow the directions, then you can produce the result. But the result will be a direct experience. It will not be a set of words. There's a great and simple metaphor of forgiveness. It's told about an admirer of Michelangelo who was finishing the statue of David. And this admirer standing watching just was just perplexed and asked Michelangelo the question, how? And Michelangelo's answer was, David was always there in the marble. I just took away everything that was not him. Course in Miracles has a very similar set of instructions. Your task is not to seek for love but to merely seek, find, and forgive all of the barriers within yourself which you've built against it. Trying to establish your power with words creates barriers, conflicts, strife, fear, and simply reinforces the barriers that have been built. Charlie Chaplin had a powerful phrase that he used to offer 
He said, you only need power to do harm. Love is enough to do what matters. Now, our minds have been trained to refuse to give up what we've made. And this whole world that we've made is based in words. Let's carry out the instructions we were given, and that is join in recognizing that forgiveness is the key to the process of healing. And forgiveness means removal. If you study words, you'll end up with a nice big pile of words that only have meanings you've given to it to them. If you work with forgiveness, you'll be removing the false meanings, and as with Michelangelo's statue, the only thing left will be you. If I'm stuck in perception, and of course calls that a skill we made up to take the place of what the Creator gave us in creation, if I'm stuck in perception, I'm stuck in the past. That lesson, what is the world? And by the way, the, the two-hour, what up until just a few weeks ago, was a, the only way to get that video was as a paid video out of our catalog. It's no longer required to buy it out of the catalog. You could if you want to support us, but you can go to our YouTube channel. There are two videos with it, the words, what is the world? in the title. One of them is a short, about a 30, I think 32 minute video, and one of them is actually a four hour, almost four, three and a half hour video that includes the whole DVD of What is the World. We did that for the Hear My Voice book club several weeks ago. And so we played that video and then put that video on YouTube. So if you look for that longer, what is the world, you'll get not only the whole video, but you'll get the question and answer session that followed. And we invite you to take it, listen to it, listen to it, then listen to it. And I found each time I've listened to it, I've learned more. I hadn't listened to it until just before we presented it in the uh, book club had listened to it from the time I'd made it originally. So that lesson says that the world that forgiveness needs to be applied to will, quote, remain no longer than the thought that gave it birth is cherished. A thought not founded in love creates a whole world. And it we dress it up in the mind a thousand different ways to make it, make it important. But ultimately, it must be forgiven that it's removed. When you tell your mind that this or that or the next thing causes you pain, you generate a whole world inside of you that projects your pain into your brain's image of whatever the this or that is. And that's all a lie. It's all just perception made up to hide the truth. 
if someone or something comes along and does a behavior that resonates a thought with which I cause myself pain, and then I hold that thought of blame of them, then that thought turns into an image, a projection that shows me my thought in form. And then whoever it is that I'm blaming will show up with my problem attached. Therefore, my mind proves the errant thought that you're the cause of my pain. And and it's all a lie. Are you in some form of upset, disturbance? Then stop with the lies already. Apply forgiveness, collapse the projections, and come to the underlying dynamic of your own mind. So when you engage in actual first century Aramaic forgiveness, perception collapses in on itself, and you get to access the errant thought that was projected. Rather than projecting, you get to access it directly. And then when that thought, when that thought disorder is exposed to love, that thought's removed, and guess what? Your pain will disappear. Now, of course, many people will live in the challenge. Well, I don't know what that thought is. Well, right. That's why we call that part of the mind the unconscious. It's hidden from us. And the mind will then tend to jump into it's num- what I consider to be the number one pseudo-solution, and that is, well, I'll just try and figure it out. And you can't figure it out. And truth ends up being hidden by denial. Literally, thinking or speaking, as though something outside of you is the cause of what's moving inside of you, And when you apply forgiveness, the lies collapse. So that false belief that something outside of me is the cause of what's happening inside of me, I've got to give up. And when I forgive, my denial is undone. My thoughts of blame disappear. I realize I'm the one who's at the root of this. Now, remember, this isn't about letting somebody off the hook. If I've forgiven, if I let another off the hook, that's called pardoning. It is absolutely not forgiveness. And most of the world calls pardoning forgiveness. So people run around, run around, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Please never forgive anybody for anything. To engage in actual forgiveness, one must learn it's totally internal and it's about collapsing perception and freeing oneself from the constructs, the entanglements of the past. Forgiveness literally is liberation from the image-making capability of the perceptual mind and all the thought disorders that underlie its function. Bringing those thought disorders, which when you put a thought disorder in your structure, 
because its energy is toxic to your system, somewhere the system will say, ouch, that hurts. And once I get lost in those thought disorders, I make up a whole string of thought disorders and or bring those that I've learned or inherited from my culture and my past generations. And all of that must be removed. So be prepared if you're going to engage in actual forgiveness to learn an entirely new skill because true forgiveness does not look like anything you've learned from the world of perception. In fact, the Course calls the world of perception the world that darkness rules. How do you collapse perception? Well, notice as the Course of Miracles says, you're never upset for the reason you think. And, you know, it, it further, you know, the Course itself acknowledges the, uh, the challenge of this lesson. How can you learn something so different from what you've taught yourself? How do you collapse the world? So remember that lesson, what is the world? The world is false perception. It is born of air and has not left its source. How do you do that? Well, let's first understand what it is we need to collapse. Though it appears we see a whole world outside of us, we have never seen anything with our eyes. What we call seeing is nothing but a world constructed by our minds. Seeing happens in the mind, not through the eyes. Information comes in through the eyes, but what that information resonates in the mind is what creates seeing. When we think we see something outside of us, which has never happened, we'll be fooled into making the things that appear to be outside of us the cause of the meanings we hold within us. The whole world you think you see is painted by your mind on the inside of your eyeballs. It's not out there. So this skill called perception is an image-making capability with which the mind constructs its world to match what has been trained through generations is familiar, seems desirable, and seems true. And really the only feature actually demanded by this skill called perception is that it is familiar. It has to fit the family pattern. And it will tend to keep us, will tend, pardon me, to keep ourselves in the role which we have been assigned. So by holding on to those pictures painted on the inside of our eyeballs, will tend to play out whatever it is we've been taught we are. The role may be painful, degrading, abhorrent to us, but it's our role and therefore desirable. The mind will come back to it again and again. It's totally false. It's a fraud. But having been convinced it's who we are, if we accept that false identity as true, And it will take great effort and a little willingness 
and tools to free yourself from it. Yeshua spoke of that self that is so familial as the self that needs to die. He said, in order for you to live, you've got to die. Now, this world of internally generated perception comes complete with colors, sound, emotions, a whole construct which we then substitute for life, actual experience being presented by life. Now, why would anybody tolerate such a fraud? I offer that because what I've made is more familiar and more desirable. After all, I made it. It must, of course, be perfect. (laughs) With these beliefs, the technique of substitution becomes acceptable. We habitually replace the actual world, the one the Creator gave us, with that world that we love, or we, we call it love. And fewer aware and even fewer will admit it, but everyone lives in a world, a perceptual construct of their own making. And this is the only world that we're aiming forgiveness at. Now, in fact, there is a part we have to play in forgiveness. But the moving of the energy is not something we can do of ourselves. Of course, Miracle says this, your part is merely to return your thinking to the point at which the error was made. Now, turning your thinking to the point at which the error was made does not mean you have to go back and remember something. When you engage in actual forgiveness, contact with that original error is a function of forgiveness. Now, you'll notice that you're never upset at anyone, self-included, until either you or they violate a goal that you hold. Goals create distortions. Of course, says it really beautifully. You must become aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be. All perception is driven by goals. As I was talking to Jamie the day before yesterday, every time that she she was at her father's house and every time she looked at something in the house. He, he was a woodworker and just created this beautiful space. Up would come this next flood of tears. And I'd ask her, what, what, did you, what is it you want there? What's the goal? And she'd bring the goal forward and say, can you let go of that goal? And, and each time she would then shift into something of beauty about her father. And then she'd look at another object in the house that he made and, and this desire for him and this goal would come up and when she let go of the goal, she'd go back to connecting with him. Behind our goals, we hide our pain. Each time you allow a goal to move, that brings forward pain. In Aramaic, the word forgive is shebag. It means to cancel. 
When you cancel that goal, the underlying pain is exposed. If love is conscious, active, and present, then the underlying pain dissolves. That's the act of forgiveness. And, of course, you can't do that, but you can set the stage for it. You can do your part in it. So notice that you're never in pain seemingly over what someone does unless they violate a goal you hold for them. And when you let go of that goal, when you cancel that goal, you'll come face-to-face with the underlying pain. This is a 2,000-year-old technology which was disappeared almost as instantly as it came along. And I certainly understand why it was disappeared because it's not easy to grasp unless you know how the mind works. Again, notice, if everybody's doing everything you want them to do, unless you're just a generally miserable person, you're pretty happy with virtually everybody. It's only when somebody does something that you don't want them to do. And that goal is the driver that causes the pain you hold to move in you. And when you cancel that goal, the perception based in that pain will collapse and you get to access the underlying dynamic. And that's where the forgiveness process occurs. So our goals are the key way into forgiveness. And canceling them is the how-to of forgiveness. So that's a simple introduction to the process of how do we change content to the mind. And Ms. Jeannie, I understand you have a hand up. We actually have three hands up. (laughs) Well, let's go Um, for the first one. All right. The first one is Julia, and I believe she's from Washington. Welcome. Hey, welcome, young lady. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And yourself? I'm rocking. Doing well. Thank you. Oh, good. Glad you can hear me. I got on through the website. I feel so sophisticated. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, I'm, this was a first for me too, Julia, so I'm glad to know that this works. Thank you. Oh, good, good. Thank you so much for your help. So you're me. talking through it. your computer? You're talking through yes. your computer on Blog Talk's website or our website? On Blog Talk's. It's, it's Blog oh, nice. Talk's site. You have to... You have to be, for those who may not know, you have to sign in. So you have to have an account with Blog Talk. And when you sign in, it's you free. can either chat in the chat room. Yes. And you can either chat in the chat room or you can talk. Now, there's supposed to be a button there, and she couldn't find the button. So what I did was emailed her an invite, and she was able to click it and get on. So it's it's amazing. But anyway, yes. So it uses your computer speaker's and microphone. Awesome. Well, let's make sure we keep yeah. that link and make it available. So that way, you know, we're doing a lot more people in Europe and such, and they can then call into the show. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that, yeah, that's awesome. And I, and I, um, yeah, and I bookmarked the page, so I'll see if I can get back to it. Now, Wonderful. It, it will change. It will change every day. You'll have to be on Blog Talk, Mind Shifters Radio, and then click on the on air it's the live show so you know where today it says august 7th tomorrow it'll say august the 8th so that part of it changes every day but the first part's the same yeah this screen looks totally different too because on the left there's a keypad you know with numbers like a 
it looks on your phone. And so mm-hmm. that's different looking than when I went to blog talk radio the first time, um, when I first signed in. So Well glad you made it. We'll get it all. Yeah, me too, me too. And and um I told Jeannie I'm really sorry for your loss. I heard about this um on Friday of uh Thank you your for holding the space. Father in law. Yeah, I've been holding the space for you guys. Yeah, and so I'm calling in uh, to bring some light to a a, um, reality um, sheet I'm doing. And uh, it's stuck, I'm getting stuck at step six. Okay. uh, A or D or C? Let's see. The six is kind of hiding here. There it is. Um, A. Well, no, not A, because, you know, I, I will, I can identify how I'm feeling and B about number one, because number one, it says C that. Well, number one, you've got a whole picture of the situation you're working on. So what that question is in 6B, now that you've collapsed the perception you described in number one, if you look, think back to that situation, what does it look like now? The whole circumstance. So in number one, when I started, you know, I had this person who I thought was really irritating to me and I was angry and upset and fearful and no, 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 no. So I got a whole story there. When I locate and identify the goal and I cancel in step five, I ask Ruka to move to help to move the energy. Then step six, how do I feel and how's the situation look to me now? So I'm now looking back at that whole scenario that I described and has my perceptual construct changed about it? Okay. How has my construct changed about it? Okay. Like, let me, let me, let me share a, a, a situation that comes to mind for me. And this, for me, it's kind of one of those <clears throat> things that stands out like a, a high, you know, a, a high energy light beam. This goes back in my my early practice of forgiveness, and I had someone I had a conflict going on with, and my mind could detail everything that was wrong, blah 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 blah, and of course why it was all their fault that I was feeling what I was feeling, and I can remember the the sensation of. And this is when I was first starting to understand forgiveness, canceling that goal. And and it's only happened for me once this dramatically. It's happened many other times, fairly dramatically, but not not to this extent. But this one particular situation where, you know, I had it all laid out what was wrong with them. And when I canceled that goal, I literally, like the next instant, could not even remember how I made that whole thing up. It was so clear that it was mine. My disturbance, my pain, my upset was mine and about me. Now, that's the most dramatic worksheet I've done in over 40 years, but that's how stark it was. I could not even remember how I created the fantasy that it was their fault, that that was going on inside of me. So that's what it's meant to point up. It's meant to give you a look at, so has has your construct in your mind changed? 
Yeah, and I was. That's nice that you um, just told me that what you you felt because my, I was going to ask. Like, does it feel kind of contrived when you're you first start doing this process? Because, um, and and not necessarily that I feel like I it's contrived, but you're kind of like, oh yeah, right. You you're just going to like, you know, write these couple word, words and just feel so much better. But um, but. So is that kind of normal when you first start doing the worksheet that you feel a little be, yes. bit like you'll question it? It's like you're going to be like, no, you're not. And and then I kind of say, well, you know, just let it settle in. And because, like, there's a big difference, you know, in your emotion when you – what comes up, like, when I have this thought that makes, like, triggers me into tears, and then I'm like, yeah, this needs a worksheet, Right. And then I start, and then I'm going through it, and I'm feeling better already. I'm, you know, it's already kind of settling in. And then you're like, yeah, you're, you know, and so. And, and the ego mind, that. and the ego mind will try to suck you back in. Wait a minute, yeah. you're not going to give up all this pain that easily, are you? <laughs> no. But you know what? You know what? You can give up all that pain that easily. Yeah, that's beautiful. And and I really feel like that part of surrendering it to Luca is um is so powerful, right? Yes. That it right is there. Just... And and the world mind has a saying. I mean you've probably heard it a thousand times. No pain, no gain. That's kinda of like yeah. one of the rules of the world. In this work, yeah. and the truth is, no pain, no pain. That's all. Yeah. You, you yeah. don't have no to pain. get sucked Woo-hoo. into it. You don't have to go there. I mean, you may not like what happened. You may not appreciate what happened. You may want to make sure it never happens again. But once you delete your pain, there's no need or reason to be in pain over it. Or at least what seems to be being in pain over it, because the pain that you're inserting into whatever it is is always your own. Yeah. You know, whenever we're we're caught in an energetic pattern moving within us that causes pain, and we allow ourselves to collapse into that pain, that became pain begins its dissolution. That's all. Yes. And I can stand in that experience that I would describe to somebody as terrible and awful and horrible and ugly and nasty and all the descriptors I want, and I don't have to do pain over it. And I'll only do pain over it if I've still got a residual uh, content, the, the original content of pain in me. And when I let go of it, I can stand and go, hmm, don't like it, but I don't have to suffer over this. Like it's the end of suffering. And the ego mind will often say, but but, but that's your identity. You're supposed, don't you know your part in the family system is to suffer like your power person suffered? You listen and you know listen in the in the political world right now, the people that are out there, oh, I'm such a victim, they're making me suffer. look what they're doing to me it's like it's it's a whole identity that the ego world sucks other people in with and and sucks themselves in with 
No pain, no pain. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one so much better than no pain, no gain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I used to say to my daughter all the time, it's only a problem if you call it a problem. You know, you don't. it doesn't have to be a problem. You can just not identify with that as a problem. Right. It's all, again, they're all constructs in the mind, and when we choose to remove them, we can be done with them. Cool. Well, any other thoughts or questions, young yeah. lady? Yeah, I had one, but I forgot it because I was really loving what you were saying. So when I think about it, I'll call back, and I'll let some other okay, people cool. be on the show. Okay, thank awesome. you. Thank Have you. a great day. All right. Okay, please. thanks. Blessings. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Blessings. Bye. All right, Miss Jeannie, uh, we've got another caller. We do. We have two more callers. And so the next one is Audrey. You're on the air, 520. Good morning. Hey, Audrey, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Love to be here. Love to listen to you. I I had an aha moment about the the worksheet. Right. And canceling the goal. And my aha moment is canceling the goal, doing the workshop is a creative process. It is actually alchemy. And I'd like to have your thoughts, and I'll listen off the air, when we hear the words, take dominion over the earth. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. You know, I I just had that uh, when I was doing the worksheet. I said, wait a minute. This is a creative process. And in the creative process, it is actually alchemy. And through this process, we are taking dominion over the earth. So I I just had to call and share. I thought, wow. I said, how cool. That's it. You know, that, that statement right after the creation, it speaks about he told them to go forth and multiply and replenish the face of the earth. Uh, most everybody listened to the multiply command. But nobody understood what that replenished the face of the earth. But in Aramaic, what that thought means is literally to bring the earth to completion, to bring the creative process to completion. We're designed to be the cutting edge of creation. So you're right on track. I'm with you 100%. That's what it means to bring the, 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 the completion point, to replenish the face of the earth as the Greeks translated it. Okay, now now comes a question. I had an aha moment, and now I have a question. Like when awesome. you say replenish, replenish the, the earth, it means to bring to completion. But right. in the ACIM, the Course in Miracles, they often refer to this as an undoing. And if time is a construct that we as a collective human being 
in our earth experience uh, agreed upon. If it's an undoing, my question is, it's already done. I'm, am I missing the mark, Michael? Well, it, it's it's already done. The, the the wholeness is there, and you'll notice that you in in any particular place where you've got some sort of pain or trauma, you locate the goal, you cancel the goal, you ask for help. There's the undoing, and then notice the final ah. step is the final step is. You create a new goal based in love toward whatever that object of attention is, yourself or another. Thank you for the explanation. Yes, thank you for the explanation because I I didn't have clarity about replenishing the earth. Thank you for explaining that. Yes, we're here as instruments. It's like when when we – I love the word repent. And the way that it's used, you know, repent, you sinners, is, is a, 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 a trauma. But actually, the word means to turn our thinking another way. Literally, you know, on the level where we're creators, we've got 360-degree vision. We can't turn away from our errors, but we can undo our errors and then turn toward the mind of the creator that has our real purpose just sitting waiting for us. What are we really here for? Am, am I so busy with the past familial traumas, the dramas, the traumas, the pains? Am I so busy with that that I lend all of that my creative energy? Or can I pick up and turn toward the mind of love and bring that creative process in to replenish, to complete, the face of the earth, the creative process. Thank you. Thank you for the clarity and blessings and peace. You're welcome, young lady. We appreciate you. Thank you. Good. All right. Take care. Miss Jeannie, you have caller yes, number three, and we have 19 minutes. We do. So, Dan, 757, you are on the air. Hey there. Hey, welcome, me? young man. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to good to hear y'all and uh, holding a space of love for for you both. Um, you know, I didn't catch the whole the full beginning, but uh, you know, thinking of you both. Um, Thank you. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's me and me, our I, daughter in love, that we're asking support for. Her dad was killed Saturday in a woodworking accident. Oh. And so okay. it's just a shock to the whole family. And so we're, we're mainly asking yeah. for support for her. And, and we're just in that same space of holding her up in light and love. And, uh, and she's in turn bringing that to her older brothers very powerfully. So it's, it's kind of sweet to, to see what she's doing with it in Is such a challenging situation. Was it Thursday? Yeah. So what's on your mind today, Dan? Where are you? Where are your travels well, taking you? Are you still in Asheville? Or? Yeah, I'm still in Asheville, and then tomorrow I'll be heading towards the uh, Greensboro area and see some people there, and then I'll head back to Virginia oh, cool. on Saturday, um, and we'll go back to work Monday. 
But I am, you know, when I whenever I'm in Asheville, I I at least hold the belief that uh, more of my uh, realities get stirred, you know, disturbing and difficult stuff. And you know, I think I'm in this like these multiple crises type situations, and, and early over the, you know, I'm getting out of a, a romantic relationship, and I'm just you know, having a hard time with that. I've been doing a lot of worksheets on it. And I guess I had a few, I, it, it's like, I don't, um, I was listening to some of the earlier dialogue, and sometimes I'll do a worksheet and there's a lot of clarity. You know, how do you see the situation now? How do you feel now? But other times, right. like, I feel pretty much the same, and I don't really see it a whole lot different. And, and maybe that's kind of a more uh, denser reality that I'm holding there. Um, yes. So I've had both. But if you um, go back when they asked Yeshua, you know, how many how many times do I need to forgive us to my brother? Is seven times enough? Was the question, and his answer was seventy-seven times seventy. And okay. oftentimes in doing the process, if you've got something, you know, maybe it's a a genetic. You know, it's something that's been going on in the family system for a long time where there's a lot of emotion connected to it. You can sort of hit a plateau, and you may do many, many worksheets before bingo, bang, the whole thing just cracks open. So that's the process. Yeah, because there's, like, different parts of it that become more illuminated, and what's happening is I just, you know, I'm I'm feeling all of this sadness and grief, and I've, I've discussed with you the idea of the, the, the power person and what confuses me is that it seems like in the relationship, I both take on that role and then I take on the role of who I was in relation to the, you know, my power person. And the way I'm seeing it now is that it's like I've got this projection going on so that the the woman I was uh, dating and that, that I ended the relationship with, I've got this illusion that she's she's holding on to all the loving, innocent, and pure parts of myself that I don't, that I feel that I'm cut off from accessing. So I've projected that into her. Um, you know, she's innocent and I'm this horrible person that can't stop doing things that are offensive and triggering to her in the relationship. And, and um, so now that we're apart, it's like I'm in this illusion that she holds those places of innocence and pure love and that, that sort of newborn state that I can't seem to access in myself, but I seem to access it when I think about uh, her. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and it sounds like that would be worksheets on self, where you'd be number 1A. And as you do that worksheet, you'd talk through the worksheet and speak to yourself as though you were a third person. What I hear you saying is there, there are states in me that I'm not accessing. In other words, what I hear is there are blocks that keep me from accessing the, the true state that I know I'm capable of. And so your forgiveness work will be removing those blocks. Yeah, and that was actually another question that was coming to me is a lot of times on the the subject or the topic of the worksheet, like I want to write down something external, but also myself in parentheses or like an aspect of myself that I'm not comfortable with. It seems to all come as like this one unit. Right. Well, and remember, in our conversations, remember, every perceptual construct of the mind always first tells me more about the content of my mind 
than the world that I think I'm looking at. So ultimately, it's all smoke and mirrors. If my mind is generating it, whatever it is, is true about me. It may or may not be true about someone else, but I know for sure that it's true about me because my mind is generating it. And what I want to do is I want to collapse into the deeper and deeper and deeper layers of the part of me that's generating it until I've brought every part capable of that to the presence of love and dissolved it. Then I'll be finished with that issue. And I'll get to move on to what my next piece of work is. Okay, so if I'm getting to the point where I'm doing worksheets on, on myself with these things. That's a good thing. No, that's right on track. You're, you're, okay. What I hear is you're starting to let go of the projections and starting to own more of what previously perhaps you've projected. Yeah, well, that so that's what's been coming out is that recognizing that a lot of this is a projection The um, that I've done to – well, it, you know, I did worksheets that involved, you know, my mother and then um, my my beliefs about various women. And, and it was normally what I would do is project parts of me that I wasn't comfortable with or couldn't access. And then I'd think that they held they held those parts of me and that I couldn't act. You know what I mean? It was like it, it, it seemed that other people had to give me access to deeper parts of myself that I've been cut off from. And what a gift. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So that's what's going on with me, just kind of <clears throat> stirring it up. And Sounds right on track, my friend. <laughs> it hurts pretty bad, but I think it's on track. Well, remember that the the pain will only remain as deep and as long as you refuse to bring your breath to it. So just breathing through as it comes up. Say it again. So it's just breathing through as it comes up. Yes. And okay. remember okay. we talked about the veil of the temple, and that veil is built with the breath. So when there's something I want to hide from myself, that to the degree that I hide from myself, I'm going to allow that veil to close down and keep that energy I'm torturing myself with hidden from myself. When I open my breath um, fully, that's when I'm going to access that hidden part of me. So one thing that's happening to me a lot recently is that I just, I've been crying a lot, and that I, I guess that seems to be you know, with the healing crisis, there's, I, I listened to that clip you, you sent me with the different, um, about healing crisis and some of the right. eliminative function, you know, increase. And it seems to be with me, it's more, you know, uh, runny nose and kind of phlegm coming up, but then also crying a lot, a lot of tears happening. Yep. And, but when That's I'm, elimination. you know, active, when I'm actively in that though, it's, it's very hard for me to cry and breathe at the same time. <laughs> You that's know, why almost, that's why I always instruct people if you if you need to cry, go for it as long as you keep breathing. If you have to choose one or the other, choose breathing, let go of the tears. Really? Okay, cuz I thought I yes, I sir. thought I was doing a disservice cuz I would breathe and then the crying would stop and I thought I was I was, yeah. you know, blocking that pain from coming out. Okay. Okay. No, the breathing is dissipating the pain. 
what happens with okay. tears, you know, they've, they've measured chemicals and such in tears and found different types of toxicity and such. It's a form of toxic release. But yeah. when you allow yourself to breathe, it moves to a whole different level throughout the whole structure and creates a whole other layer or level of release. Crying is very easy to, you know, just you kind of, kind of wail and then just stay there for a while. And you know what I mean? It's looks like what had happened to me. But And you'll notice that in order to cry, what do you have to do? You have to tighten down on it. You have to close down on it. Yeah. So if, you, if there's a choice, yeah. if you can do both, go for it. But if it's a choice, breathe rather than cry. Will do. Okay. And that will dissipate the energy on deeper and deeper levels. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. You're right on, my friend. Awesome. Well, it's great to be on the show. Maybe uh, maybe when you get to uh, to see Terry, maybe he'll breathe you again. Yeah, we had talked about that, and and actually that that had come up for me. I mean, if that's something that I get a little practice with, can I just do that on my own if it if it comes up? Ultimately, it's meant to be done for yourself by yourself. Yes. But yeah, I'm planning to do do a session with Terry. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, we'll let you know how it goes. All right, sounds good. Any other thoughts, sir? Um, no, I'm going blank for the moment. I think that's it. All right. Well, you have a blessed one and travel safely. All right. And thanks for the support with Jamie. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Bye. All right, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody else in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Susan, 610, you're on the air. Hello, people. Hey, welcome, young lady. I'm sorry about you. I'm sorry about the loss there, that accident. Oh my God! I hope there wasn't too much pain involved. Yeah, we we um, actually yesterday, was it yesterday, Jeannie? They the sheriff took the whole family out to where the accident happened. The sheriff had found him and explained what happened and. Uh, we had processed a lot with Jamie before that, and she led the family, the brother, all her brothers are older, she's the youngest, and she led wow. them in a kind of a meditation that going out into the field, they weren't going out there to share in his suffering, but to share in his love. And, the, you know, he he passed doing what he loved doing. You know, he was a woodworker, okay. and he just did awesome stuff, a prince of a man, and and so she started the, the, you know, when they got to the field, she started the journey out there with a, a meditation. And, you know, we're here to really be with dad's love and not his suffering. So she really was able to transform that visit to the site of the accident. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. Was, was it a um, was he doing woodworking in the saw when he's wild or no? He's he's um, he does a lot of different kinds of working and he and he gone out unfortunately by himself to cut a tree. Oh, and somehow oh I guess the tree did 
flipped in a way that he didn't expect it to, and it pinned him and crushed him. Oh, And it God. sounds like he was probably killed instantly. I hope so. Yeah. Boy. It was a huge, like a massive tree. Mm. Well, thanks for telling me. Yeah. On another note, I was at a family reunion this weekend. We had 30-some-odd people there, the most beautiful family you can imagine. We do have our issues, (laughs) and one of the most beautiful parts of it is those of us who get up very early ostensibly go to the kitchen where there's a big window and you can see the sunrise over a valley, Salem Valley. And I found my nephew, Tim's older sister's son there. He's close to 60 or maybe he's 60 now. When he was 10, his father took his own life and his father was a very beloved member of the family and he left three sons and a wife. He was in such terrible Mm. depression for so long that I don't think anybody really is puzzled by that, but he did it very carefully when no one was around and no family member would find him. And Anyway, I thought to myself, because this boy, my nephew, was only 10 when this happened, and I right. thought, someday I hope to talk to him about his father. And this was one of those times. He came into the kitchen. Oh, wow. He had been on a 10-day retreat, terrible grief over the loss of a girlfriend he thought he was going to marry. It didn't work out. He said the grief gradually broke through to grief about his father, and he went through just paroxysm of tears and things. And he said he he felt lighter afterwards. Well, I thought, what a great opportunity, because he said, you know what my problems are? The world isn't doing what I want it to do, so I don't feel good. (laughs) I said, oh, I have a a tool for that. That's a great insight. Isn't it? I said, you know, I know we're going to be cut off. But basically, I gave him Genie's. He had his phone there, so we got the app and downloaded it. And he looked at the three versions of the wake-up sheets. And he, you know, I said they were hard copies I had brought with me. And I said, I'll, I'll send copies to you. He said, wow, this looks like great stuff. And he's a Zen Buddhist. And he's been trying to get rid of his ego forever. <laughs> Lots uh-huh. of luck. Right. Anyway, I just wanted to report that it was one of the sweetest times to be able to talk to him and just, you know, tell him what his dad meant to us and how much we loved him and so forth. So anyway, I know you got to go. Well, that, that's awesome that he had the insight that it's when he's not getting what he wants. So, you know, he's he's ready for forgiveness. <laughs> we had a good laugh over that. Ain't that the truth, Edward? <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> I've never noticed that myself. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> never. Right. Okay. All right, dear heart, we appreciate you. Everybody, thanks for joining us. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. The world needs it. You're capable of giving it. Blessings. Bye-bye.